Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Good evening and welcome to Eyewitness News Live from our studio here at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka, Accra. My name is Zoe Abubedu Ado and this evening I'm here with... Akosuya Ofenwa Opoku. Coming up over the next 90 minutes, COVID-19 cases continues to surge in the country as the Kotokan International Airport records over 200 cases in the last two days. Stakeholders warn of dire consequences if the spread is not controlled. It's clear evidence that we are ramping up to a, a fourth wave, so we, we have to really, um, you know, get serious and take all the necessary measures to minimize the height of the wave. That is okay. Also, Member of Parliament for Boko Central, Mahama Yarga, calls on the Central Bank to investigate the activities of the Ghana Amalgamated Trust as he alleges the Finance Minister is in the process of offloading shares of the trust to third-party nominees without giving opportunity to Ghanaians interested. And later on Eyewitness News, members of the Coalition of Consent Teachers call for the sacking of their president for his involvement in the one-teacher, one-laptop policy which they are opposed to. We therefore want to state clearly that from today onwards, CCT Ghana can no longer work with our acting president and his acting executives. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and other stories on eyewitness. Within the telecommunication industry, urge to improve upon current infrastructure base for data in order to meet demands of customers. Netele Neti joins us in the next 50 minutes for more in the world of business. Eyewitness News is live across the country. Um, uh, on all our affiliates, if you're in the Western Region, we're on Premier 100.5 FM in Takrade, Bonum Region, Greener FM 95.9 in Sunyane, Ashanti Region, Orange FM 107.9 in Kumasi, Eastern Region, Right FM 90.1 in Somenya. In the Volta region, we are on Holy FM 98.5. In Aflao, Northern region, Dasuma 99.1 FM in Yende. We are also in the Upper East region on Word FM 88.3 in Zuarungu. And in the Upper West region on Bugli Radio 88.6 FM in Wa. We are also live across the globe on City Newsroom. Dot com. Your comments are welcome via WhatsApp line 0549-986-996. You can tweet at me on Twitter. You can tweet at me at Zoe Abubedu or City973. The hashtag is citynewsroom.com. Akosia has a first story which has to do with COVID-19 and the surge in numbers. Fears of the country getting hit by a fourth wave of the ravaging COVID-19 pandemic are fast gripping people as the greater Accra region continues to record new cases daily. 
These fears are being heightened further with the onset of the new Omicron variant. The Kotoka International Airport is said to have recorded over 200 new COVID-19 cases in the last 48 hours alone, with health authorities attributing them to travelers coming into the country. Furthermore, the West African Center for Cell Biology and Infectious Pathogens says its data suggests a steady increase in the COVID-19 cases over the past weeks. Of the center, Professor Gordon Awandari is worried that the trend may lead to a full-blown fourth wave of the pandemic in the country. A clear, um, you know, indication that the, the, the numbers are going up. Um, uh, in the labs that are doing the testing, you can see that the percentage of cases that are positive or percentage of the tests that are positive is going up. And uh, we are seeing the same um, uh, for people who, who walk in to get tested. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's a clear evidence that we are ramping up to a, a fourth wave. So we, we have to really, um, you know, get serious and take all the necessary measures to minimize the height of the wave that is okay i think as um, um you know responsible citizens we have to learn from what happened last year and so it would be irresponsible for us to go about the christmas uh, uh activities as if there's uh there's nothing going on as if things are normal things are not normal um and based on what we saw last year, it could be worse this year if we don't get serious and scale back a lot of the things that people are planning to do. Uh, I, I know a lot of these plans were made uh, when the cases had gone down and uh, it seemed like uh, COVID was in, um, uh, you know, it was uh, going away gradually. Now we have a new variant and it's driving a surge everywhere across the world. Um, so it means that we have to really change our strategy and, and, and try to scale back and take all the necessary precautions for, for any activities that will take place. I mean, those that are not essential, they need to be cancelled. Those that are those that cannot be cancelled, you scale them down or you put measures in place to, to minimize the spread. Um, you have to make sure that there's a lot of testing going on and availability of tests. Professor Godwin Awandari is the director of the West African Center for Cell Biology and Infectious Pathogens. Now, despite government's already announced enhanced protocols at the airport, Presidential Advisor on Health, Dr. Anthony Nsiasari, tells City News that the government will still engage the Ghana Tourism Authority and other relevant organizers of programs to adopt strategies aimed at preventing the spread. I don't think there has been any event since the president spoke a week ago indoors this morning. We are having a meeting of all the event organizers. Whoever maybe organize or arrange for an event which will be taking place soon indoors, we will ask the person why he did so. She will explain to us what measures he think he has put in place to be able to take uh, undertake the event indoors. So I'm I'm on the way to the meeting to meet. We are going to meet all of them, the Ghana Tourism Authority, to find out why. why I've seen a lot of adverse going around. That events will be done outdoors, uh, indoors, as the president said, as much as possible. Every event which has to happen this Christmas or, to, or the end of the year should be done uh, as much as possible outdoors, following all the safety protocols that we have been put in place, making available hand washing, hand sanitizing, 
and making also available that everybody wears masks and as much as possible, even to check if those who are coming to that those events are being vaccinated so that they are also covered and they don't take anything from their grounds or they come and infect Dr. Ansia Sari is also worried that the country's facilities may not be able to contain an upsurge in COVID-19 cases. We have not put in any new measures as have been previously announced. All what we are going to do is to strengthen whatever measures we have put in effort. I before we leave the point of uh, point of embarkation, that's where we are coming from. They check that you have a negative PCR test, which have been done within the last. 72 hours. We also check that um, you, you have paid for the airport test that you do at Kutuka International Airport when you arrive. And then we added a new investment, um, which is to check that anybody coming to Ghana is fully vaccinated. So these are the three things which are checked by the airline before you board the flight to Ghana. And definitely when you reach Kutuka International Airport, you go through the testing. And the results will be given out to you. And when you are positive, we mandatory isolate you in one of the isolation centers in the, in the country. You know, we have one uh, national isolation center in uh, Medina uh, municipality near Pantai. And then uh, we've also uh, made arrangement with some uh, hotels who are generous enough to take on the isolated isolation patients. Now we have about 12 hotels who are doing that. So we continuously be adding on the hotels, arranging more hotels as the cases go up. So this is exactly what we are doing. And then we put health and security officers at these hotels to make sure nobody accounts on the hotel whilst they are in isolation. On the third day, the particular cases are all retested. And then we took advantage to do genomic sequencing. And uh, when you are negative, you are allowed to go home. If you are positive, you stay on for another four days to make it seven days in total before you are allowed to go home to continue isolation at home. Centers definitely will get full because if you get, say, uh, yesterday like this, we had about 91 case, uh, positive cases. The day before, it was 100, 100 and, I think 104 cases. So because the day before are still there, then yesterday one will be added to it. So we are getting to about uh, nearly 200 people. So at any particular time, most of the rooms are filled. And they will continuously be looking for more rooms to put the positive case. You heard there Dr. Anthony Nsiasari, the Presidential Advisor on Health. Let's all stay on the issue having to do with the surge in COVID-19 numbers. Dr. Franklin Isiedubekwin is the Director of Public Health at the Ghana Health Service. Good evening, sir. Now, can you give us an idea um, of what the data looks like with regards to our active cases now? Okay, um, thank you very much. So, um, as of now, we have about 3,165 uh, active cases. So, clearly, it tells you that within the past, like, one week, we have added about 2,000 cases to uh, what we used to have. So, there's, there's an obvious steep in the number of cases being recorded. And where is the concentration? Is in the uh, Greater Accra region, Ashanti region. Where are we seeing most numbers? Yeah, so about ninety percent of the cases are in Greater Accra, and um, maybe let's say nine um, percent in Ashanti, and maybe just a little under one percent in uh, Porta region.
So these are the um, the three main um, areas. The other 13 regions don't have any active cases uh, being reported now. Per your findings, um, what is accounting for the surge or rise in numbers? Well, I think that um, clearly um, the surge is the, because of the presence of the, the new variant. You see, when you see a surge, then something different has occurred. And what is new is the appearance of the or detection of the Omicron um, variant. Because uh, we can see that we haven't changed much in terms of adherence to protocol. Our vaccination, which is supposed to be a protective measure, um, is on course. So if there's a surge, then it's a factor which are stripping the vaccination. And clearly it's due to the fact that uh, we have this new um, variant. And then you, because of the SMAS, there's a lot of movement of persons in and out. I mean, that's the main reason why we are getting um, this uh, surge in cases. The Ghana Health Service and the government, for that matter, has um, declared December as a month of vaccination. What has been the success rate of this exercise? Yes, I would say that um, we've seen appreciable uh, numbers uh, over the month. It is not at the level that we would have expected. But clearly, you can see that uh, by our strategies, now we are trying to do more of um, um, client, close to client. Um, strategies, and then we've tried to kind of um, open more of our, our vaccination site. So now there's less time to wait before you get a vaccination. So it's improving um, somehow. We have a few levels of hesitancy uh, going on. But let me say that the detection of the Omicron somehow helped us because now it was some kind of fear. So people now are going for their vaccines. I think that it could be better. But... Um, it's better than, um, I would say, two or three months um, earlier. Has it come to your attention that some vaccination centres in the northeast region, for instance, have run out of AstraZeneca, uh, the second dose of the vaccine? No, it's, no, I don't think. It's, now we have a um, reasonable number of vaccines. And um, for, for us, we're actually using all the five um, 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 vaccines that have been authorized to use. So uh, absence of vaccines is not really a challenge for now. And it's about a matter of um, uh, asking for them. And then we have we have reasonable number of vaccinations, vaccines in the country for now. All right. Now let's come to an issue that has um, brought about some sort of agitation having to do with events and I don't know if it's a cancellation of it or reducing the numbers. Have you had a meeting with a um, organizers of various events ahead of the yield tide and what has been the conclusion of this meeting okay so um, let me see that the Ghana tourism authority and the health service um, we have having some discourse over some period so clearly um, as a run up to let's say the first season if we have all agreed to have uh, like um, um, some protocols which they call the COVID-19 health and safety protocols so that is, is labeled beyond the return um, December in Ghana. So it's looking at possible um, persons coming from outside the country who come and, and be part of the number of activities planned. So they have actually, or this protocol has been designed 
and looks at even travel, looks at entry, event entry, looks at on-site venue protocols, looks at um, capacities and social distancing, and then uh, contactless ticketing and staff health screening. So a number of um, things have been planned, and normally it's been between the Ghana Tourism Authority and then the, I will say the event organizer. So if you look at the data for Ghana, and for the past like six weeks, or go back to eight weeks, uh, the cases were down. So it appeared that we're going to have um, a normal SMAS. And then we detected, we detected Omicron. So the cases are going up. So we actually engaged Ghana Tourism Authority that let's have a look at the plan activities and then going forward, what we can do together. So the test case for us was the concept that occurred last uh, Friday. We we actually realized that um, some of the planned activities was a bit different from what was agreed upon. You mean the so, GT Bank concert? Yes, yes. So we actually um, called the meeting, and then the the CEO of GTA, um, Ghana Authority, actually formed a team like a tax force involving the organizers, um, the Ghana Health Service, and then uh, Ghana Tourism Authority to ensure that what is planned is what is supposed to be implemented. So that's, and somehow it worked. Uh, apart from the, let's say, the last part of the event that people had to break some gates, it worked to somehow the way we planned it. So there have been some engagement. But if you look at uh, the way the cases were going up, and even by their document, it stated clearly that as much as possible, events must be held in the open. That is in the document that has been agreed. And clearly, if you, if you know the way um, COVID spreads, it spreads very much when you are in a closed place. So, and um, in the same light that um, the president's speech, it was announced that it should be better that events are held in the open. I think that it makes a lot of sense to every, every, every one of us that we need to minimize uh, the, the risk of infection. So that, that, is the, that is the issue. So so what happens to those who are going to have their events indoors and have um, sold tickets to capacity? No, no, you are not, you are not going to sell tickets to capacity. In that case, you are going contrary to what has been agreed. The document is clear. I mean, let me give that one part that says that capacities will be reduced at all events and venues following Ghana COVID-19 Commission guidelines. Social distancing will be required and always be informed during um, within events venues. Audience seating arrangements ensure that guests will be seated at least six feet from each other. So you cannot say you have you are failing to capacity. But this is a document which is agreed between Ghana Tourism Authority and the event organizers. So filling capacity does not come in. And what about outdoor events? Um, I mean, where people have to sit on a round table and all, does the same rule apply? Yes, I think, you see, um, the, the, I, I'm sure if you look at it, if you talk to the event organizers, they will clearly tell you that this is a document that is operational between event organizers and Ghana Tourism Authority. Because we realize that COVID spreads when you are together. It spreads when you are not using your, your mask. So clearly, as far as possible, most of the, the protocol is to minimize the risk of infection. I mean, that is the, that is the idea. So there's no need for you to aggregate and let you not wear a mask. Then you're going to get infected. So 
So if you look at the document, I think there's a clear understanding between what is supposed to be done at an event, whether it's an indoor or whether it's an outdoor. What we are, we are prescribing is that for this period that we are in, we just said it should be good that all events, as for most events, are organized outdoors to minimize the risk of infection. So and I think it's, not, it's nothing new from the protocol. It's their document. They, they have it. So the suggestion that there should be a cancellation of indoor events is not the case? You see, as I'm saying that, it's not just like cancellation. The issue is, and I think that is nothing new, they, for the document which was agreed, as he said, if possible, events should be organized in open air spaces. And you are simply titrating the life of Ghanaians against the, the number or the, uh, the, the, the viruses available. Now, I mean, clearly, you are seeing a surge in case. So do you still want to have such an event at the expense of your, your life? I mean, you need to be real. So that is the issue you are talking about. Whereas your document is clear, saying clearly that as much as possible, events must be organized in open air spaces. So in that case, you need to realize that there could be a factor that may, that may go against your plan. Okay, what I mean, are... What arrangements are being made for monitoring of these protocols that you talk about, including the proof of vaccination? Yes, yeah, so, um, so what is um, clearly uh, agreed upon is that so normally when they say all COVID-19 protocols will be observed, there's a monitoring team. So there's an arrangement between general service, um, the organizers, general tourism authority, about a team. So let's say if, if you look at the, 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 the last one that was done, it was to inspect the vaccination card. So the event organizer actually brought um, um, a group that were inspected, but they're actually being um, supported by um, a security. And then we also have in the presence the, uh, the kind of service. So kind of service, we try to look at the spacing. Are we, are we spacing by the six feet as agreed upon? Do we have uh, water washing facilities there? I mean, we try to make sure that all the things that we are prescribed are conformed to. And then when it comes to the operational, if we leave it to the hands of the, the organizers, while the city is also around. So mm. that is what is, is being done. Okay. And as I said, the last event, I think it was not, it was not really done. Mm. Grateful for your time. That was Dr. Franklin Yesidubekun. He's the Director of Public Health at the Ghana Health Service. This is Eyewitness News. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Don't forget, you can get interactive with us. Your comments are welcome via our WhatsApp line 0549-986-996. You can tweet at me at Zoe Abubedu or CT973. Um, let me take some of your messages on WhatsApp. Alex Kofi Yareni says, I'll blame the government if strict measures are not put in place to curb this new variant because the WHO has warned us against this Christmas and its 
activities. Now, Baba Chairman says the fight against COVID-19 is a collective responsibility by all. The government may do its best, but that in itself can't do the magic. Let's still stay on issues having to do with COVID-19. Let's speak to Dr. John Amwesu, who is with the Kumasi Center for Collaborative Research. Good evening, sir. Thanks for joining us. Now, the COVID-19 cases, especially at the airport, um, keeps increasing and in the greater Accra region we have 90% as we understand from the Ghana Health Service. What is your peculiar situation with where you oversee? Well, I'm, I wouldn't say I oversee anything in Kumasi. I bring you greetings uh, from uh, the KNUST um, uh, campus in Kumasi um, uh, where I run you know, a bunch of research including some COVID clinical trials and a bunch of other things. Um, you know, what we're seeing in in Kumasi is not very different from what is pertaining in Accra and most interestingly, from what is pertaining all over the world. And this is what I have always maintained. While the picture in Africa has been uh, quite different with regard to the, um, the number of deaths uh, in terms of a wave or a wave hitting Africa, it's been pretty much in line with what happens everywhere in the world because Infection is infection, and, and human beings are human beings the same all over. Now, let me explain a little bit of um, some of the nuances that are involved in what we, we might be seeing in the country, in particular in Kumasi. So we've seen a, an astronomical rise in the number of positive uh, individuals. The positivity rate has gone up uh, tremendously. Um, however, this is not uh, commensurate uh, with the numbers of people who are hospitalized with serious disease and also uh, the number of people who are dying. My last check with the ICU at uh, Confanoshi, uh, I understand there's just about this one person there right now. Last week, there was two people there, um, and that has not changed significantly. And now um, this needs to be taken again with a, with a pinch of salt because what we're seeing is... Um, there's a good number of people who are vaccinated who are also turning up positive, uh, but otherwise very stable. And those who tend to end up in the ICU, although there's just a few of them, are almost entirely uh, the unvaccinated people. Um, what this means is it is clear that there's something going on which has turned the tide in the direction of an increased number of cases. Our sequencing for the Omicron is not uh, necessarily uh, systematic or representative of the entire population. So we're not able to tell uh, at a glance, but I'm sure very soon we'll have the data from colleagues um, at the WACBID who are doing the sequencing uh, on what proportion of positive cases are uh, accounted for by Omicron. But we know that this Omicron is more than 10 times more uh, transmissible than the Delta. And remember, the Delta itself was about five to eight times more transmissible than uh, the Alpha, Beta, and other variants that came about. So when you see this increase in number of cases, it, it sends a very strong signal that it could, it's most likely driven uh, by the Omicron. But we, we were yet to ascertain this empirically. Mm, so you're, you're un uh, unable to tell if the Omicron is the dominant strain now? No, no, we, this we do not know at this stage. Uh, this we do not know, but there is every indication that uh, the, the rise in the number of cases is driven by an extraneous factor, uh, and which points uh, in the direction of a, a variant that is uh, has a high affinity for human beings and spreads much faster. And what we know now is Omicron. Uh, sometimes you, you do not need uh, to arrive at a conclusion. 
uh, by inference, uh, well, well by, by, by establishing a presence, but also by, by deduction as well. If you, if you, you lay all the chips down, uh, this one uh, Omicron uh, really uh, seems to be the strongest signal uh, to uh, accounting for what we're seeing currently. Uh, in, in Ghana, and again, not isolated to, to Ghana alone. Now, I just want to point out very quickly that, that what, what really is of concern here is we, we cannot tell at what point uh, the scales would take, because with every single wave that we've experienced, it starts with a large or significant increase in positivity rate, then it mounts up to increased number of people admitted, then it begins to translate into increased number of people dying. We cannot tell with the Omicron whether it's just going to stay at that level of increased number of people infected and not going to translate into an increased number of severe cases which require hospitalization and ultimately death. So the question is, I mean, why would you want to gamble with something that you do not know uh, and you have evidence that the outcome, if it's bad, can be really, really bad? And this is why we continue to emphasize erring on the side of caution by uh, ensuring that one is vaccinated and also ensuring that one follows all the basic rules. Um, in fact, what I'm looking forward to now is an announcement from uh, the policymakers regarding a boosting program. Um, I know that many people in this country have not been vaccinated, but there's also several people who are not willing to get vaccinated. And it's not fair on those who are not willing to get vaccinated. Well, it's not, willing, it's not fair for those who have been vaccinated that those who are not willing to get vaccinated, um, it was sort of marking time for them. It would be advisable for us to pursue a two-pronged approach, which would be a, a booster program along with a first-time uh, vaccination program, uh, which which would offer uh, protection at both an individual level as well as at the population level. But I I, I think from from where I said that also the narrative regarding what vaccination will do for us has to quickly change. It is very clear that what vaccination will do is to prevent one from getting seriously ill and prevent one uh, from dying to a large extent. Mm. It is very clear to me that with this Omicron, um, the protection against getting infected is severely lowered. Um, and it's not surprising that you have people who are vaccinated who are, who are turning positive, but these people tend, tend to be asymptomatic or just have just simple common flu kind of symptoms and it resolves in three to four days. Mm. Um, so I'm just concerned that the anti-vaxxers would say that, hey, look, I know this person who is vaccinated and, and then still got the COVID, so this vaccination thing is not working. So the narrative has to shift. We have to make it clear. Vaccination um, will lower your chance of getting the disease, but most importantly, it, it will significantly lower your chance of getting seriously ill and very, very significantly lower the possibility of you dying. And I think we have to really start start pushing this message. The challenging thing for us who work in the sector is this this virus or this disease is, is just changing all the time. And, and we have to catch up with our knowledge and then provide direction. And unfortunately, with the general public, sometimes this doesn't go down very well because it looks like we're flip-flopping. Today we say this, tomorrow we say that. And uh, today we're saying, oh, when you take the vaccine, you will never get the disease. And today we're saying, okay, you get it, but you don't get very ill. But they have to understand, this is new. And we're charting new territory. We provide the knowledge as and when we have it. And the, and the evidence is there to prove it. Uh, and, and if we just follow uh, and move as we learn, we hopefully, hopefully will stay 
out of out of uh, a precarious situation. But I'm just concerned right now mm-hmm. about what we're seeing and hopeful that we can avert what could be a catastrophe. I know you're more into testing of samples for results, but I want to find out from you um, as a doctor if there are peculiar symptoms associated with this particular current spread. Well, with this, with this uh, current wave, what we're seeing is people uh, just having the fever and uh, you know, throat irritation and general weakness plus the headache. This is basically what people are getting. Not so much of the cough like used to be um, uh, in, in, the, in the earlier waves. So people may be coughless, if I put it that way, but a lot of fever, generalized weakness um, and, and, uh, and, and headaches. This is what tends to to um, to really uh, be the presentation for what we're seeing right now. All right. Thank you very much, um, Dr. John Amoisi. He's the group lead of Global Health and Infectious Diseases Research, uh, the Kumasi Center for Collaborative Research, and he's also the head of community medicine at the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology. You're still listening to Eyewitness News. My name is Zoe Abubedu Ado here with Akusia Ofewa Opoku. We're taking another break here. We'll return and bring you more on COVID-19 stories. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. Now, event vendors say they have consulted their members to follow COVID-19 safety protocols and ensure strict compliance. The president of the Event Vendors Association of Ghana, Kate Hansen, says some of their clients, as a result of the increase in numbers, have reduced the number of invited guests to their events. We've really had a lengthy talk with our members. We've had meetings and a little bit of workshops and Zoom meetings to, I mean, educate our members on how to put all the necessary protocols in place, especially with the vaccination card, to let people show their vaccination card during an event, and also to map on and make sure um, hands are being sanitized and washed and all these things. I mean, proper um, COVID protocols, I mean, has to be put in place so that events can go on. You know, when it comes to eating, we are encouraging more of takeaways this time. So... With the eating, we are observing the social distancing on the tables. Like a table that takes sense, we are encouraging five or six so that there will be more space. And we are not really enthusiastic or um, excited about the event because most of our events have been, they've been cancelled, I can say. And I mean, they've cut, uh, they've cut off the numbers as well. So... It's not much, there's not much celebrations or much work like we used to do before. Everything has been. You heard there the president of the Event Vendors Association of Ghana, Kate Hansen. Now in the national capital, Accra, authorities are bemoaning a steady surge in the daily cases of COVID-19 cases recorded in the last three weeks. The Regional Coordinating Council notes that an average of 10 to 100 new, 80 rather, to 100 new cases are being reported daily compared to a previous average of 10 cases per day. The vice president of the National Development Planning Commission, David Annan, disclosed this in an address on behalf of the Greater Accra Regional Minister at a Regional Coordinating Council meeting earlier today. 
The Greater Accra region, like many of the regions in Ghana, continue to battle COVID-19 pandemic and these attendant consequences. As we are already aware, the region was the first to record confirmed cases in March 2020. Since the onset of the pandemic, the region has experienced three major waves and two minor surges. Daily reported new cases of COVID-19 within the region was at an all-time low, at an average of 10 cases a day. In the month of October and November 2021, however, in the last three weeks, the daily reported cases of COVID-19 has increased to an average of 80 to 100 new cases daily. Currently, the region has recorded 71,351 confirmed cases, with 70,325 of the cases recovered and 722 cases currently actively ill as of December 18th. 2021. This surge in cases is occurring at a time when most countries are experiencing surges in reported cases of the new variant. The threats of the fourth wave as the new COVID-19 strain, Omicron, spreads aggressively across the world cannot be understated. There is therefore an urgent need for all citizens to adhere to the COVID-19 safety protocols, especially the wearing of the face masks and the uptake of COVID-19 vaccines. You heard there the Vice President of the National Development Planning Commission, David Annan. Some of your messages coming through on WhatsApp. Um, Fuseini Salifu at Kaswa Zongo says, let's continue to observe the COVID-19 protocols this Christmas season because the virus is still in the system. A.U. Farouk in Tamale North says, indeed, it seems government is not doing enough to protect citizens from the virus. Um, Christ in Adenta says, I think we should all come together to prevent the fourth wave because government cannot do it alone. Um, this final one from Alex Kofi Arani says, we as Ghanaians should be circumspect on the Christmas as the WHO has warned us to do before we head towards a disaster. And more on Twitter, Okuro Yebua Breman in Breman Benin says, oh no, that's not related to anything we are discussing today. That's on the E-Levy. Um, Daniel Atia says, good evening, Zoe. Indeed, the upsurge of the COVID numbers lately is scary. The duty bearers must also do more campaign and educate Ghanaians on this new surge. He's getting in touch from Dan Suman. He uses the hashtag City Newsroom. A. Farouk in Tamale says, Indeed, it seems government is not doing enough to protect the citizens from getting the COVID-19. Let's bring you some more stories now. The Ashanti Regional Police Command has made one more arrest in connection with the lynching of five persons at Ninewusu in the Ntrima Mponia district last Thursday. This brings the number of arrests made so far to two. The police say the investigation saw that the six persons who were illegal miners travelled to Ninewusu to engage in mining activities but were accosted by some inhabitants in the area and accused of armed robbery. They were then taken to the Ninewusu chief's palace where five of them were lynched by some residents while the sixth person escaped. Speaking to City News, 
The Ashanti Regional Police Public Relations Officer, ASP Godwin Ahiano, said the investigations are still underway to get all other perpetrators arrested. As of yesterday, we had arrested two persons. Um, they were to be put before court. I'm here to speak to the district commanders to know whether they were put before court. But due to security, we want to put their names out there because they are, we are using them to get the others. Well, there were many who perpetrated that heinous crime. So now that we have two people, I'm sure when we use the two, we're able to get the remaining. So for security reasons, as indicated, we are not going to put the name across, but we have two in our custody. And, and what measures are you putting in place to ensure that there are no reprisals at all? There come, the come has returned to the area. Our men are also underground. We have uh, the 30 uh, officers who have also been planted in town to ensure that uh, nothing on towards happening. Our ears are underground also. So we are also engaging the community members, the chiefs and the elders, so that there wouldn't be anything like reprisal attack. That was the Ashanti Regional Police Public Relations Officer, ASP Godwin Ahianyu. Let's now go to one of our headline stories. The Member of Parliament for Boko Central, Mahama Ayarika, has called on the Central Bank to investigate the activities of the Ghana Amalgamated Trust. Now, you recall that the trust um, was formed or set up by government to raise funds to recapitalize some selected banks. Now, this was done because the banks were um, at the time unable to meet the new increased minimum capital requirement of 400 million cities. The Boko Central MP has in a four-page letter written to the central bank, and I have him on the line to um, help us understand what his issues are and what he's expecting from um, the central bank. Good evening, Honourable. Um, we've seen a f the, your letter to the central bank. Can you summarise what you, you are seeking to achieve? Uh, good evening to you and your listeners. I think basically um, my uh, understanding based on uh, communication that has come to me is that the God is seeking to uh, raise funds from the capital market to uh, from what they tell me, pay off uh, government investment uh, in gas, which it used to buy uh, shares in these banks. And my concern is that through that process, um, the shares will be transferred to third parties ultimately. And the original owners of the bank will lose those shares. And I don't think that it is the right direction to go. And so essentially, uh, the steps I'm taking is to prevent those shares ending up in the hands of third parties. I think that given that the original investment came from uh, government, and we have given those banks a five-year period to turn around, we should structure an arrangement that enables the bank within the five-year period to repurchase those shares from, from GAT and not to allow GAT to engage in uh, a risky uh, transaction of going to the capital markets to borrow money. And if, you know, uh, uh, there's anything, the investors will fall on, on the shares because GAT itself 
doesn't really have any asset. The underlying asset that GAP is going to use in the capital market is the shares in these banks. So ultimately, if anything happens, it will go underlying assets that will be at risk. And that is my concern. So what you, you are rather suggesting that they give opportunity to original Ghanaian shareholders. Exactly. Those the shareholders of the bank. And because at the time that um, the state was appropriating the 800 million uh, Ghana cities, which was used to help uh, recapitalize these banks. Um, the understanding was they were trying to make sure that these banks don't uh, collapse. And they needed a period of five years to, to, to be able to redeem the situation of the bank. And just within two years, uh, you are seeking to, to go to the capital market and then try to find money to uh, pay off government. I don't think that this is a time that uh, government should be taking the money. I think they should have a structured approach to recovering the money from these banks, and the banks should be given an opportunity within the five-year period that we have given them to pay off that money. Mm. All right. So... We I have also cited um, you wanting the chief executive officer and the board chairman of GAT to be investigated. Why? Well, I mean, there are issues about, um, you know, some charges and some fees that uh, the banks are paying to, to GAT. And uh, uh, clearly, we need to understand what those uh, monies are used for. Uh, basically, GAT is a shareholder in the bank. If GAT is a shareholder in the bank, that has always with. And when uh, dividends are declared, they, they have their share of, of the dividends. But uh, yeah. by what practice and by what understanding are these banks made to make payments to GAT? That's, that's the issue. What is the finance minister's involvement in this? I realize you, you named him. Yes, because uh, interestingly, um, the finance ministry is the state institution that facilitated arrangement for funds um, to, to, to be routed through NTHC as a trustee uh, to hold in, 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 in the GAP structure uh, on behalf of government. So clearly, uh, the finance minister and finance ministry uh, appear to have a hand in, in all these processes that are taking place. I have even more fundamental detail questions to raise, but I'm reserving them for now. Uh, immediately, I'm concerned about me being able to uh, stop a process that could ultimately be to the risk of these banks using these shares, ultimately to third parties. Third parties that they may not be willing to, to do business with. When are you expecting a response from the central bank? Well, I mean, if, if, if they hold on with the process, I'll consider that as an appropriate response. Um, really, I mean, the ultimate decision is that of government, because it's government that is seeking to, to recover the money in a, in a way that ultimately will endanger the shares of these banks. Um, the bank, I believe, is it's just uh, regulator doing its work of facilitating the processes as expressed by um, those who are seeking 
to, to go to the capital market. But, you know, they also have an interest in making sure that nothing happens that ultimately will undermine the integrity of the bank. So the central bank has an interest here to the extent that um, there's something going on uh, in relation to uh, these banks that could ultimately undermine um, the assets of these banks and uh, undermine the deposited money in these banks and then lead us to another you know, round of uh, banking sector cleanups. So they need to, as regulators, sit up and uh, examine what is happening and stop it from happening. Have you contacted um, these banks involved, I mean those um, under the gut, and what has been their response to you in all these? Oh, well, I want to tell you already which bank I'm talking to. No, I won't tell you. <laughs> no, I'm not asking you to mention <laughs> the name of the bank, but if any has given any any response. <laughs> well, I'm still expecting either the Security and Exchange Commission or uh, GAP to come out and tell us that there's nothing like that in the offering. All right, thank you very much. You heard the Member of Parliament for Boko Central, Mahama Ayar. We are still listening to Eyewitness News. We're taking a break. When we come back, Netteli Nete has the latest in the world of business. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by Vodafone and powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Neteli Neti. Let's settle for the details. Chief Executive Officer of MTN Ghana, Seloma Dadevo, has reiterated the need for the telecom industry to improve the current infrastructure base for data to ensure they meet the data demands of their customers. According to a recent Fitch Solutions report, Ghana's telecommunication industry is said to be one of the fastest growing in Africa and is fourth in a ranking of the most digitally matured nations in Africa and those likely to receive the bulk of data center investments in the coming years. Speaking at a gathering of industry stakeholders, Salama Dadevo mentioned that the industry will struggle to cope if investments in, to improve data infrastructure are not made now. And I would urge that we ask ourselves these questions. How do we develop a sustainable industry going forward, considering that these questions will need to be answered, if not today, then at some point in the very near future? We have a situation in Ghana where we have a data capacity deficit. And what this simply means is the rate of growth of demand by consumers outpaces the rate of growth of the introduction of new capacity into the infrastructure. As a result, if we don't answer the question of how do we introduce new capacity fast enough to be ahead of the demand, then from basic engineering, at some point, the infrastructure will come to a standstill. We're at this point today as a result of accelerated demand from COVID-19 in 2020. It's no fault of ours, but the solutions lie in our hands as operators, as regulators, and as partners within the industry, and lastly, as consumers of technology. And I'd like to urge all of us 
to think seriously about our role in ensuring that we secure what's required to continue to maintain a viable and sustainable industry going forward, considering everything else that's driving this. That was the Chief Executive Officer of MTN Ghana, Seloma Dadivo. The Chartered Financial Analyst Society of Ghana is urging all players in the investment space to abide strictly by the code of ethics to avert any situation that could lead to another financial sector cleanup. The exercise, which began in 2017, led to the revocation of licenses of 53 fund management companies. The collapse of the institutions left clients in distress, as many of the customers have been struggling to retrieve their savings and investments. President of the society, Nana Uyafibwama, who agrees the cleanup exercise was necessary, urged his colleague investment analysts to ensure they always put the interest of their clients first. I felt, I mean, we were actually at this threshold where if nothing had been done, the whole I mean, industry would have I mean, collapsed. So, going forward, I mean, I think all the players within, I mean, the industry should learn from the most recent history and make, I mean, amends, I mean, going, I mean, forward. As investment managers, we are duty-bound to uphold the highest level of integrity and ethical, I mean, conduct, right? I mean, our clients are the reasons why we are in the industry, and we should vow to ourselves, I mean, that we would act, I mean, very ethically in the interest of our clients and not in our self-interest. And I dare say, I mean, if we put, I mean, clients and ethics and responsibility at the heart and focus of what we do, the industry, I mean, can only grow, I mean, growing, I mean, forward. That was the president of the Chartered Financial Analyst Society of Ghana, Nana Uyafibwama. Mm -hmm. A civil society organization in Ghana's agricultural space, Agriterra, be believes that to improve the livelihoods of farmers in the country, critical attention must be given to cooperatives. The CSO argues that a well-strengthened cooperative will go a long way to empower farmers and give them better leverage to improve their incomes. Government has made a number of moves to improve the fortunes of farmers in the country, including the planting for food and jobs, among others. The country coordinator for Agriterra, Habib Banyakwajiman, however, believes more can be done to help farmers in the country. In their own way, collectively, they can uh, improve better, they can produce more, and uh, they can, uh, as it were, create more rural development by creating employment their own small ways and this is what we advocate for uh, through professional cooperatives and, and, and like I said in various ways we uh, different cooperative uh, different programs have been doing things in their own way uh, through different silos but we believe that they should all come together and work as an ecosystem and that is why today we have convened um, the academia the government uh, uh, ministries and agencies and uh, the cooperative sector in general to come together to find a way uh, through which we can um, create this uh, whole uh, segmental approach to cooperative development. And so we as Agitera together with other global partners uh, have come up with a, a concept and initiative called uh, the Agri-Grid Initiative. And this is, um, is a way to develop 
or graduate if you make cooperatives from the lower segment to more professional segments so that they can access the right uh, markets and they can have um, the right access to finance which has always been a major problem. That was the country director for Agriterra, Habib Nyako Ajiman. The Deputy Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, Honorable George Mrikuduka, is urging players in the country's mining space to ensure they abide by the small-scale and community mining operational manual. The manual, which forms part of government's efforts to sanitize the sector, is to guide the operations of community mining activities and promote responsible small-scale mining in the country. The country's water bodies have been negatively impacted by the activities of illegal miners in the country. This continues to threaten water security in the country since the practice continues to badly pollute rivers and streams that are sources of water for many across the country. The government, as part of efforts to end this menace, has embarked on a number of exercises, including the launch of the Operation Halt Task Force to flash out such miners. It also recently launched the Small Scale and Mining Community Operational Manual to serve as a guide for the operations of stakeholders in the mining sector. Deputy Minister for Land and Natural Resources, George Murkuduka, was speaking at an engagement with large-scale mining companies and stressed on the need to strictly follow the manual to ensure responsible mining in the country. We we have also done one or two things technically and it will be prudent for me to share with you. One is to have small scale and community mine operational manual to guide those who will be mining for them to be mining responsibly. So henceforth, if we consider as a community mining concessionaire or a concession is considered as a community mining component. You need to really meet all the requirements in this manual. You need to have a first aid center at a concession. You need to have an office. You need to have a changing room. You need to have a canteen and some requirements that you stated in this manual. So you didn't go get to anywhere that you didn't see all these requirements in this manual and be termed as community mining, where people erect signposts, you know, indiscriminately and say it's a community mining. That was the Deputy Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, George Murkuduka, ending that report by Michael Ubudu. As part of efforts to ensure the delivery of quality courier services in the country, the Postal and Courier Services Regulatory Commission is urging all unlicensed operators in the country to acquire the necessary license to operate by March 2022. According to the Commission, though courier services have proven to be a very necessary avenue for connecting citizens and businesses, the move will weed out unscrupulous characters who invade the sector and rob unsuspecting people. There's more in the following report. Even though the COVID-19 pandemic took a toll on many businesses, restricted movements and threw economies out of gear, causing many to lose revenue and jobs, many others also found innovative ways of engaging customers and providing profitable solutions amidst the devastation. One of such groups is the courier and delivery service providers worldwide. Courier and delivery service providers, for instance, saw a major boom in the operations as the pandemic pushed many individuals and businesses to opt for online services. A similar growth trajectory was witnessed in Ghana, 
with the reliance on local production increasing, digital inclusion on the rise, and the growth of the digital financial services industry. Despite the significant growth over the period, the industry is faced with many challenges. These challenges include the invasion of unscrupulous characters who rob unsuspecting people in the name of providing delivery services. As part of efforts to ensure the delivery of quality courier services in the country, the Postal and Courier Services Regulatory Commission is urging all unlicensed operators in the country to acquire the necessary license to operate by March 2022. Chairman of the Commission, Nana Amampene Boateng Chum II, spoke to City Business News on the sidelines of a stakeholder meeting to deliberate on ways to position the industry to deliver quality postal services as the world continues to battle with COVID-19. In the wake of the COVID-19, e-commerce has gone up. People want to sit in the comfort of their homes and receive their parcels. So uh, a lot of people have taken advantage that hey, there's business booming in e-commerce. But they have forgotten that there's a regulator who has to give them licenses before they can operate. They are not doing it. They just get up, buy motorbikes, and they start the business. So we are appealing to whoever is interested in entering a courier business to get a license from us so that we know who is in the business, what they are doing. We can monitor them and make sure that they are providing efficient service to their customers. Yeah. That was the board chairman of the Postal and Courier Services Regulatory Commission, Nana Amampini Boatinchum II, ending that report. And that'll be all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was brought to you by Vodafone. Together we can, and powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netzeli Nete. Up next is Point Blank. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Welcome back to Eyewitness News. It's time for the Point Blank segment. The Mobile Money Agents Association um, issued a press release on Monday. The intent of that press release was to embark on a strike on the 23rd of December, which is tomorrow. 
The association has written another statement um, indicating that that planned strike action will not take off tomorrow as scheduled. General Secretary of the Association, Evans Otumfo, um, he has written um, another letter and I'll read what it says. It says, we are by this communique calling on all members to hold on from embarking on the strike or, go or the demonstration as intended to take place on the 23rd of December 2021. We know that our members are very resolute and poised to get on the streets to fight in protection of their businesses but we cannot do away with the fact that we are Ghanaians and must be concerned about how we intend to make this strike or demonstration happen members are therefore to take note of the following reasons for the call off number one parliament of ghana is on recess or a break and may not be present to receive our petition also the police have a challenge protecting us and the general public due to their schedule for christmas and its related issues number two the ministry of communications and national communications authority after a meeting with them have accepted to receive a proposal for further deliberations and a possible consideration It further reads that if all of this proved or proves futile, then the demonstration or strike is inevitable. We deeply appreciate the media for the great job done. Thank you for supporting us, the media and all Ghanaians. Now, let's bring you one other story, one other headline we brought to you earlier. The coalition of concerned teachers. Members of the group are not happy. They have expressed disappointment in the leadership of the union for agreeing to the One Teacher, One Laptop initiative. Now, this program aims at providing over 350,000 laptops to Ghanaian teachers in fulfillment of government's pledge to equip teachers with the requisite ICT skills in the discharge of their duties. However, the initiative has been criticized by several teacher unions. There was a press conference this morning organized by regional representatives of the Coalition of Concerned Teachers. The founding member of the Coalition of Concerned Teachers, Felix Nyako, addressed the press. The one teacher, one laptop has built the leadership of the various teacher unions across the country. There are conflicting reports from stakeholders and the very least we expect from our leaders is transparency taking cognizance of the economic consequences on the pocket of the teacher at the center of this policy. Mm. What is now breaking the camera's back is the TM1 laptop. Oh. 
which was initiated by the leadership of the teacher unions, including our own current acting president, Mr. Ken Ali Awudu, without any form of survey and assessment to determine whether teachers needed that tool at that time or not. Not to talk of also the brand and the specs. The current acting president, Mr. Ken Ali Awudu, and his acting executives handed us a deal that lacks consultation, transparency, and accountability. As of now, no member of the unions know the details of the contract that reported on the media. We elected leaders to be accountable to us. It is unacceptable to hear such news only from our leaders. Let me state clearly that no teacher, and I repeat, no teacher is against the fact that laptops should be given to teachers to be used in their teaching process. But the question is, should the teacher pays for the tools and materials that is needed in his work no. or the employer? No. No. Allowance that is supposed to be used to purchase such materials. No, no, no. no. Hmm. Now, the usage of our tier 2 fund to pre-finance the purchase of the laptops is uncalled for. Mm. This transaction brings to light the defect of the leadership. Mm. What kills me most is that upon explanations, we were supposed to pay interest on this money. Mm. Now, whose money was used to pre-finance? The tier two belongs to you and I. If you are used my money, to pre-finance an item which I paid in bulk, not an installment, must I pay interest? No, no never. Somebody is chopping. The contrast is suspicious. Stakeholders like Controller and Accountant General Department, Ghana Education Service, and Ministry of Education have all stated certain facts with respect to the One Teacher, One Laptop project. It is not surprising to hear the communication director of our own CCT, Mr. Adukwe Ayukwe Awule, the mouthpiece of our current acting president, insulting all teachers in an interview on a television program, stating that teachers can leave the teaching service if they do not want the laptop. Oh, wow. Very, very bad. Uh, very bad. After electing our current acting president at Congress in 2017, the vibrancy of the union had taken a nosedive. The then elected president, Mr. King Ali Aoudou, and his executives had woefully failed us to live by the tenants of the union. And as a result of this dormancy under his watch, a lot of policies Medical to teachers have been formulated and implemented <coughs> with little or no resistance from our front leaders. Time will not permit us to enumerate the unfriendly teacher policies implemented under the watch of our current acting president, Mr. Ken Ali Awudu, 
And that did not go down well with a lot of teachers. However, for the purpose of illustration, we would mention just a few. Concern. Resolute. First of all, is the renewal of teacher license. Brethren, it is expected of a teacher to attend not less than 50 training workshops within two years to be able to accumulate between 70 to 100 credit points depending on one's rank before one can become eligible for his or her licenses to be renewed. Averagely, it means that you are supposed to attend at least 24 workshops within a year. Hmm. These workshops are designed in such a way that the fees are very exorbitant. The training sessions are also organized on weekends. Brothers and sisters gathered here, we all know that the teacher is engaged from Monday to Friday, and the only time left for the teacher to prepare and attend to his personal things are the weekends. If our weekends are going to be engaged, what time is left for the teacher to do his personal things as well as preparing for the next week? Not to talk of the exorbitant fees charged during these workshops and trainings. As we speak, some has already begun, and the prices ranges from 65 Ghana cities to 75 Ghana cities. On the average, it means that you are supposed to pay 70 Ghana cities per a training or a workshop. Ladies and gentlemen, let's do this simple calculation. If you are supposed to attend at least 24 workshops within a year, it means that you are supposed to attend two workshops within a month. And if one is costing 70 Ghana cities, excluding your TNT, and your feeding, calculate the amount of money that a teacher will pay within a year. Then compare it with the 1,200 Ghana cities that is being given to the teacher annually as training and development allowance. Alongside this, some part of the money has also been taken to do other things. And the question is, is the money meant for training and development or other things. Secondly, ladies and gentlemen, quite recently, we were faced with a very disturbing incident of purported mass failures of candidates who wrote the promotion exams in 2021. It was not just a mass failure, but fictitious one. Initially, when the portal was open for teachers to check their results online, the portal indicated that a lot of the teachers had passed. But just a few hours later, the portal was closed and reopened. This time, the portal indicated that a lot of teachers who earlier on had passed had been failed to our surprise, without proper explanation to the bizarre incident. This generated a lot of frustration at the teacher's front. Up to now, we don't know the position of our president and his executives on the fate of these teachers who have passed their exam and were later failed without 
justification or any basis from the employer. The victims took their destiny into their own hands and embarked on a series of demonstrations without any support or backing from the leadership of the union, which is very, very pathetic. To add salt to injury, our current acting president, King Ali Awudu, in response to a question asked from one of the desperate victims of this bizarre incident, stated that if she had written promotion exam and had failed, what does she want him to do? If a leader doesn't know what to do and will speak this way in times of crisis, then what sort of a leader is he? No attempt was made by the leadership to inquire from the employer about this bizarre change on the portal. This is not the kind of leadership we want. Concern. Ladies and gentlemen, from my presentation, I keep mentioning acting, acting, acting. One will ask, why am I saying this? I am saying this because the actor of office had expired over a year now. So all the national executives that we see today are all acting. And that is why I've been using acting, acting, acting. <laughs> then let's come to one teacher, one laptop project. As CCT Communications Director. Concern. Really? Are we really serious? You must go. Look at the explanation given on one of the television stations by our acting president, Mr. Ken Ali Audu, who is deeply involved in the laptop saga. Clearly, an affront to the teacher. The crown is all bizarre press conference by the leaders of the three unions last Tuesday is fueling the anger and insult to the Ghanaian teacher. We humbly ask these simple questions. One, was there any consultation among members? No. So you heard the, the founding member of the Coalition of Consent Teachers, Felix Nyako. have spoken about their disappointment in leadership with leadership of their union we'll later try and get reactions from the president or leadership of the union we've been trying to get through to the president uh, king alia wudu and we haven't gotten through to him i said when we do we'll bring you his reaction or his response <laughs> 
That'll be all for this edition of Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. My name is Zoe Abubedu Ado. Earlier on, you heard Akosia Ofewa Opoko. Show produced by Sixtus Dong Ulo. Do have a good evening and take City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302 976 732.